Welcome to the Brian Thomas Crop Podcast. My name is Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good. And so I write them and I like sharing them with you. And uh, I think we've got a, an interesting uh, episode today. And if you are new to the podcast, uh, what happens here is that uh, after this intro, uh, we will hear a chapter from uh, a book that I've written called Showdown in the Yukon. And then on the other side of that, uh, what I've been doing is talking a little bit about how the sausage is made. So if there are any Easter eggs in there or any uh, influences for how a character got named or developed or a scene or those kinds of things. Uh, in this case, it's it's really inside baseball of uh, just looking at how, if you listen to the scene, which I really hope you do, how you take a scene that there's not on the surface of it, there's not a lot going on, how there really can be uh, a story that is progressing inside of what looks like not much. Um, so there is some uh, order to the madness and I hope you listen to the uh, chapter and the uh, discussion after, uh, right after we hear from this week's sponsors. I also wanted to let you know that Sabrina Cubbins and Mr. Alexander's Pottery Palace is now out in audiobook form. If you listen to the chapters as they came out on this podcast, but would like them all without all of my commentary and all that stuff, uh, then you can just swing over to my author page on Amazon or check them out at audible.com and you can get your very own copy of the audiobook version of Sabrina Cubbins and Mr. Alexander's Pottery Palace. Uh, there's an audiobook too there, uh, Fish Tales. You can grab that too. Uh, if nothing else, you can let other people know if they are more of uh, audiobook people that it's there. You can also leave a review over there on Amazon or Audible as well. That would be much appreciated too. Well, enough of me talking about that. Now on to this week's chapter. Chapter 9 By the time the morning sun cast its heat on that lonely wagon, at least twenty miles had moved underneath. Lucy, Monterey observed, had an unbroken fixation with the view behind the wagon. He watched it, too, for a moment, thinking he might see what was so fascinating to her. He did not. Then, Monterey busied himself with other things, which did not amount to much in the cramped wagon space. From time to time he noticed her gaze until transfixed on the scenery moving away from them. At first, he chalked it up to boredom. Over time, he noticed furrows growing deeper between Lucy's eyes. Eventually, he said, No matter how long you look, I don't think it's going to get any different. Lucy did not respond. Monterey wondered if the monotony of the road hypnotized her. Maybe she was mad at him for something, though he could not imagine what it could be since they had hardly spoken to one another. I'm glad you weren't hurt last night, he said eventually. I wouldn't have been able to forgive myself. You don't think they'll catch up to us, do you? She said, not breaking her stare. From last night? Monterey wasn't sure. I don't think so. Is that what you're worried about? I've never stolen anything before. I would imagine people like that would come after people who steal from them. I would imagine there is punishment in thieving from thieves. Yes, Monterey said slowly, not sure how to both calm her and be truthful at the same time. I'm certain they'll want to find their stuff, but 
We don't know if they came back, and if they did, when they would see their things missing. Beyond that, we have no idea of knowing how long it would take them to get organized enough to come after us. Regardless, we've put a lot of distance between us. Monterey paused and calculated in his head. I'd give them a day at best to catch up to us if they were lucky, but I don't think we will sit still that long. Lucy sat unmoved. While we're on the subject of last night, Monterey continued, I would like to apologize for your capture. I don't know how I could have stopped it, but I'm sorry it happened. I would also like to compliment you on thinking we should hightail it out of there when you did. I think I was distracted by getting resupplied. It isn't often you trip across a stockpile like that. Well, it seems someone needs to look out for the safety of the group, she said. I'm curious if you and Mr. Sutherland are up to the job. It would be a shame if this whole thing fell apart before it got going. She said the words so matter-of-fact. Still, Monterey's chest pinched with their stab. What did she expect from him? He was the first victim and tied to a pole. Her mother had sent him to the camp in the first place. Certainly she was not blaming him for getting kidnapped. If anyone is to blame, it was Max since he took off into the woods without telling anyone. He was about to let the prissy princess know a little bit how the world worked when she suddenly gave out a giant sigh. <sighs> I'm just so scared this will end badly, she said. Then she broke her vigil with the scenery and looked right into Monterey's eyes. Mr. Sutherland's not the first person Mother has hired to find justice for us. There must have been ten such men who have all promised great things for us, only to leave us high and dry. It seems everyone is forgetting a quick dollar, but no one wants to help. So, consider this a warning, Mr. Danvers. If you prove false to us, if you steal from us, if you promise one thing only to abandon us, I will personally hunt you down and make your life miserable." Her cheeks immediately flushed with anger. Monterey had never seen the aftermath of his thievery. He wondered if this is how every one of his victims felt. Miss Finch, I know Mac, I know me. We come from a rough background, but we would never knowingly harm you or your mother. See that you don't. To be honest, forgive me if this sounds crass, but I want to see if that mine exists. Don't you worry, she said. You'll get your money all right. Ma'am, Monterey said, if you want to believe I'm here for the money first and your cause second, I can't stop you. But I've seen my fair share of people blinded by greed. I have no desire to be one of them. I want enough to go out on my own, be a respectable citizen, never feel I have to steal again to eat. When she said nothing, Monterey ventured on. You know, my father died of greed, was out looking for gold somewhere, thinking he could strike it rich and slipped off a mountain. I've seen people jailed and shot over a few dollars. I'm not saying I'm immune, mind. Greed is tangled with me more than I want to admit. Me and Mac have stories. But no, I don't want to steal from you or your mother. A mine putting out as much gold as you say? Well, that would be a sight to behold. If that mine is half as good as you say, there will be more than enough to go around. So you're an optimist? Lucy asked. A what? Someone who turns situations to their advantage. Isn't that what everyone does? He was not sure what her point was. Most people, sure, she said. But don't you ever want to do the right thing because it's right? Even if you get no benefit at all? Lucy shifted her weight to look him square in the face. Say we didn't have a mine, and there was nothing in it for you. Wouldn't it be better to help us anyway? <laughs> Miss Finch, he smiled as he looked down. He had to laugh at her simplicity. 
I'm sure it would be, but this is a harsh world. People like me are just trying to survive. I know you lost your pa and this brown character did wrong by him, but without that gold? He stopped short. He knew the right answer, but why was it so hard to think it was possible? I guess I'm just not that good, he said finally. The thief has become a mercenary. You know a lot of big words, don't you, ma'am? I appreciate your honesty, Mr. Danvers, she said. I don't think I trust you any more than I did, but I appreciate it all the same. She went back to staring out of the wagon. Monterey had no idea what a mercenary was, but he had a good idea it was not something Lucy liked. Try as he might, he did not seem he could get on her good side. Why did he want to get on her good side? She was pretty, indeed, but he knew looks were like greed. They both provide irresistible attraction and distraction and potential danger. He settled into his corner of the wagon and stared at her hair tied in a yellow ribbon and wondered which would be the greater trap, the gold or the woman. Monterey knew the dangers of money firsthand and thought he was up to the task. He had only heard about the dangers of women, and so far on this adventure, he had his doubts about his chances against any woman anywhere. So the Easter egg that exists for this particular chapter, if we can even call it an Easter egg, is that in a very early version of uh, what became Shodan in the Yukon, I released it as a series of blog posts and was just kind of writing, as they say in uh, the fiction writing world, uh, at is a pants version, meaning I didn't outline. I was just writing as I went. I was kind of writing by the seat of my pants. And um, when uh, everybody leaves Good and Gulch, they are chased by the bad guys. Um, and so in my mind, is every time I would think about this chapter or re-listening to it now, that's what's in my mind is there should be like the four horsemen of the apocalypse coming after them but they're not there's there's no chase um there's the threat of the chase and i think uh lucy having the the thought that you know your your sins will come back to get you is is good particularly for monterey who never had to deal with that part of it before but i did want to talk a little bit about uh how uh, things like this get written because I have moved from being a person who writes by the seat of their pants to uh, outlining. Um, I started with uh, by the seat of your pants thing because my background is in scripts and in a lot of ways um, the scripts that I write were very short and so you could kind of see it all at once and if there were problems you could fix it and a novel is just too long to be able to see it all at once so uh, i ran across an outlining uh, tool or mindset or i'm not quite sure what it is but it's called the story grid and uh, it started as a book by a guy named sean Coyne, and then another guy um, uh, Tim Grawl started a podcast interviewing Sean Coyne as as uh, Tim Grawl was trying to write a book and uh, went through all these things. And it sounded very similar to things that I had learned in theater about how stories progress. And you have a, a scene like 
uh, the chapter that you just heard, which there's not a lot going on. It really is just a conversation between Monterey and Lucy. And yet there's this thing called dramatic action that's still happening. The story is still progressing, even though things aren't happening. And in the, in the world of drama, dramatic action is not activity. It's not people moving around um, that can be happening, but you can have meaningless activity and the story is not progressing. So uh, what dramatic action is, is you have one person with one goal and then you have another person with a conflicting goal. And that's what we have in this. So um, the way StoryGrid would, would knock it down, there are five uh, questions or five events that need to happen in the course of a scene uh, to be uh, satisfying. And it starts off with, and this will sound very similar to if you uh, remember back to English class in high school where there were five parts to a story uh, there where I think probably in, co in uh, that class you heard that there was uh, an inciting incident, there was rising action, uh, there was a climax, there was uh, falling action, and then a resolution. Well, in this case, um, story grade would say there's an inciting incident followed by a turning point and then there's a crisis and then a climax and then a resolution and um all that needs to happen is is that monterey wants something which is either to know what's going on in lucy's mind or to woo her and I think probably as I'm writing this uh, back in the day, I wasn't quite sure which side of that uh, Monterey was going to be on. But then we find out that she has questions about this whole adventure that her mom has her on and she's nervous about getting ripped off and is Monterey going to rip her off? So she, they're, they're at conflict. Like he's now not no longer trying to woo her. He's playing defense and trying like, no, 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 we're not, we're not the bad guys. And she's just not sure. And so there's conflict there. It's not huge conflict, but it's a little bit of conflict and kind of helps uh, develop the character because as uh, the characters make choices, that's how we learn what their character is. Um, but it kind of gets down to a crisis que question. The turning point, I should have said, the turning point uh, would be something happens that... Um, changes the information that the uh, characters know about. Um, so I think finding out that uh, uh, Mac is not the first person that uh, Mrs. Finch went to and that there's been a string of these like, oh, that's news for uh, Monterey. And then he has to make a choice. The question is, is he going to like say bow up and chew her out or be silent to her or is he going to be honest with her? And that's a choice that he has to make. And then depending on what choice that is, that's the climax of the scene and then kind of uh, plays out. And hopefully you end with a resolution that um, uh, helps you dovetail into the next scene, which will go back through all those five things. Again, there'll be an inciting incident and a turning point and all those things and try to get that within what Sean Coyne calls uh, potato chip length, which is about 1500 words. And um, there you go. So uh, you can go back and re-listen to the chapter and kind of, if you're into that, you can kind of uh, re-look at that and see where I succeeded or failed in getting all five of those things in. But in anything that you're writing, you really can have a lot of action and, and character development, even though there's not a lot of activity 
going on. So not a lot of Easter eggs in this chapter, but hopefully some helpful information if you're looking at either how to write a book or how to think about the stories that you uh, take in. Hopefully that was a little uh, food for thought. I would love to uh, get to know you if you have not uh, gone to my website and signed up to be a part of my reader group. I would love for you to do that. Uh, that's a great way for uh, me to know a little bit about you and for us to have a way to communicate. I'm enjoying that you're, you're liking the show and that you're listening this far. Um, but I would love to know you further. So uh, check that out. Uh, you can also go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave that uh, a rating and review wherever uh, you want to go buy my book, which means Amazon, because that's the only place it is. Uh, you can go uh, get yourself a copy of Showdown in the Yukon. If you've already done that, you can leave a rating and review there as well. I hope you're having a great week. And until uh, next time, have a good one.